0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the new wave of change that is emerging in our world today? What does it look like? How will it reshape our collective future? We see more and more women are making a rapid rise to the top, taking over leadership of their countries, influencing social and political decisions on a global scale. Welcome to the Rise of the Feminine with host Gina Lazenby. This is a movement that is putting the feminine values of compassion and collaboration back into the economy and our world. Everyone and everything is being affected. Our conversation starts now. Here is your host, Gina Lazenby.
1: Welcome to The Rise of the Feminine. I'm your host, Gina Lazenby, and I'm delighted to be a champion for this fascinating conversation. Not only are women rising in the world today, but feminine values are also increasingly being expressed more openly in men and women. Last week, I had great conversations with three guests about feminine power interaction. I'd like to thank Madeline Makunu for detailing what she's doing to empower women business leaders to take a greater role in rebuilding the infrastructure of the African continent. And to Valerie Humphries, who shared how she came to sponsor a young doctor in Uganda. We also discussed gender economics in the show. There's so much about women and our contribution that is invisible something Madeline also referred to as an issue. And I'm grateful to gender economist Africa Zanella for our conversation about how women's contribution in the domestic sphere of family and homemaking is not properly counted. And when you don't count something, it doesn't get measured and then doesn't get valued. I've actually studied with and interviewed uh, Dr. Rianne Eisler, She's an eminent cultural historian and author of the book Caring Economics, The Real Wealth of Nations, And in that book, she really stresses how ineffective GDP is as a metric for a country because it omits the free work that women do. So that was a great show. If you missed that show last week and want to listen to the recording at your leisure, then do check out our Rise of the Feminine Radio Facebook page. Or you can hit the podcast button on your smartphone and search for Gina Lazenby. If you add the word rise as a shortcut, you find me immediately. Well, There are many more conversations for us to have on that subject of women's contribution. But for now, we'll move on to our topic this week, which is feminine wisdom. We're going to look at the difference that women can bring when we participate in the workplace and anywhere that we can be fully represented, particularly in those decision making rooms and also environments which we feel are conducive to sharing our authentic selves where we can bring our wisdom, where we can contribute what is different about the way we see and approach the world. My three guests today include Karen Wilhelm Buckley, who has been a champion for decades in the conversation of bringing feminine wisdom, and to corporate life in particular. Betty Ann Heggie, who is a member of Canada's Top 100 Most Powerful Women Hall of Fame. She'll present our country report on Canada. And leadership coach Niali Muir will talk about her coaching in feminine wisdom and how her own experience of walking her talk and living her life in trust brought her the opportunity to coach the Kenyan Olympic team. And that's our one woman feature. So let's get started. Karen Wilhelm Buckley is our first guest today. I met her a few years ago in San Francisco and as an event organiser and writer about feminine wisdom myself, I was excited to hear her speak on this subject. Since then, we've many times hosted women's gatherings together in San Francisco, beautiful circles of women entrepreneurs and women leaders. So when I wanted to put feminine wisdom into our schedule, Karen was definitely my first port of call. So let me introduce you to her. Karen Wilhelm Buckley is an executive coach and consultant to leaders and organisations, including for-profit, not-profit and government. Her particular expertise is in organisational development, and she excels in helping her clients develop the wise leadership that's needed for effective change. Karen is a published author, an experienced international speaker, and leads women retreats through her wisdom connection. Hello, Karen. Welcome to The Rise of the Feminine. Thank you, Gina. I really look forward to being with you on the call today. Thank you. Now, Karen, we met, first met a few years ago in California, because I know that you're um, in, live in Mill Valley. We met at an event where you were the speaker talking about probably feminine wisdom. And, and re, what what was so memorable for me was your story about how you looked in the dictionary and there was no definition for feminine wisdom. And then you found Absolutely. one So tell us about that.
2: I will be happy to. Um, I was involved in a high-level international meeting, and when they came in with the next uh, program for the next big conference, and it was all men on the program, or 80% men, I said, wait a minute, what are we missing here? These are very interesting, wise people. How could we be missing? How is it that we don't see the wisdom of women? Mm-hmm. What is it that doesn't bring that forward and, and, be, and uh, that it's not considered as a woman who would be viable to be on this international speaking platform? Mm-hmm. That provoked an inner dialogue for me where I was choosing to no longer make anybody else wrong for not seeing it, but rather to look at what are the cultural assumptions That we live inside of. So I did an online search for wisdom and I discovered that most of the quotes are by men. Then I looked up wisdom in Wikipedia. The photographs are all of men, old men with white beards. (laughs) There at that time was nobody young and no women. And even today, the percentages are significantly higher for men and photographs of men than they are for women. Next, I looked in the dictionary because by now I really wanted to understand this um, wisdom because I recognized that someone being wise was a criteria for them being chosen to um, speak. There was a certain quality that was looked for there. And I discovered in the dictionary that a wise man is a discreet and prudent man well-versed in the affairs of the world. Then I looked for a definition for wise woman. And I looked. And I looked. And I went through many different dictionaries. And I finally found one in the Oxford English Dictionary, which had us out in the woods making charms while generally being ineffective. The exact definition is, a wise woman is a woman considered to be knowledgeable in matters such as herbal healing. Magic charms or other traditional lore. A wise woman is a woman skilled in magic or hidden arts, a witch, sorceress, especially, my favorite part, especially a harmless or beneficent one who deals in charms against disease, etc.
1: Harmless witch, okay.
2: <laughs> I recognize, okay, who you can call yeah. to speak at your international business conference. A woman who's out in the woods, making charms and generally being ineffective, harmless, or a man who is discreet and prudent, well-versed in the affairs of the world. Mm. As a leader in an organization, who are you going to promote? Mm. As a political um, population, who are you going to vote into office? Mm. That these fundamental assumptions define and guide the choices that we're not even aware of making.
1: This is the thing about the unconscious, isn't it? Well, feminine wisdom is, is is emerging in the world, I mean, as if it ever went away, and, you know, people may not have an understanding of really what it is. So how do you see it coming out in the world? How do you see it being language? I mean, you know, you were looking up in the dictionary there, but how? what do you see happening, say you know, in, in, in companies? How are they languaging it? How are they using feminine wisdom? I
2: don't see the term feminine wisdom being used a lot in companies. I yeah. do experience in the women, the high-level women that I coach and work with in their organizations, they are familiar with the term feminine wisdom and they know how to utilize their feminine wisdom when they become the kind of leader who can really make a difference. But what they recognize is that their feminine wisdom is when they begin to take all of their external experience and competency and skills and knowledge and they blend it with their deepest inner knowing. And that comes with a certain inner maturity. And that deepest inner knowing blended with all their experience and competency comes out in a a couple specific ways. One is that they demonstrate that they are sagacious. They have emotional sensitivity and intelligence. Uh, Number two, they demonstrate applied empathy. They create something that people actually want to use or they perform a service In conjunction with her in relationship there's a lot of relationship in feminine wisdom so they perform a service in relationship with their clients needs their core needs they also take into account the um, emotional needs of the clients as well as the tactical or business needs Um, one of my clients is uh, runs a wealth management firm a highly successful wealth management firm and she, pride, she and her firm pride themselves on their value—the value, the the way in which they apply empathy—and that's actually part of their value statement. Is they really apply empathy in seeing the client for who they are and what they need, while at the same time making sure that they get them the top results financially in terms of their wealth management and their financial planning. Mm. So those are the top two that I see, that a woman who is feminine and wise expresses and acts from this emotional sensitivity and intelligence and implied empathy. Um, excuse me. She Also, the third aspect that is core to a, feminine, a woman who is mature in her feminine wisdom is that she expresses and acts from a relentless commitment to life. She is looking out multiple generations. She is aware of the impact this decision is going to have on the community, on the next generation, the generation beyond that. She's aware of the environmental impacts, the social impacts, the physical, the emotional or psychological impacts. She looks and sees the kinds of ripples of consequences uh, that might be missed if she, if she or anyone was only looking through a tactical lens. Mm-hmm. And I do want to say at this point that the wisdom is something that both men and women, of course, have and inhabit. The feminine wisdom has these particular qualities of, of the emotional sensitivity and intelligence, the applied empathy, the relentless commitment to generations of life, The other characteristic of feminine wisdom is that the gentleness and love of a woman leader who is also wise and in her feminine wisdom is that she is gentle and loving and powerful and it's all one package.
1: Mm. So often the qualities that you're just talking about have been seen as weakness in men and women that, you know, they haven't wanted to embrace those. And those qualities of gentleness and love and compassion, all the things that you're talking about are so important in leadership today. Probably the word feminine, the adjective feminine or feminine wisdom isn't applied. But, you know, we have a new kind of leadership emerging, haven't we, where it's really drawing from inside of people more than they've previously been using, calling on men, maybe to look at that other side of themselves which they haven't really languished as being the feminine side don't you think?
2: Very true absolutely Judy Rosner from UC Irvine here in America wrote a book called America's competitive secret and really what she's talking about in there is women managers as America's competitive secret and rather than seeing the difference that women bring as a deficiency or a deviance or a dysfunction to see it instead as exactly the kind of key strength that we need Mm. in order to shift the world, in order to create the kind of results that we want to create. Mm. Mm. Another great book that was written quite some time ago but is very relevant today is The Female Advantage, Women's Ways of Leadership. And Sally Helgelson works to develop a picture of the gender responses that women have how women have in the past adjusted to the workplace rather than the workplace adjusting to women and the strengths that they build and that really women bring fresh eyes to what's no longer working and can identify new solutions when they're working from their feminine leadership
1: well do you see that shifting now do you see businesses being open up to because it is true, isn't it? Business designed hundreds of years ago by men. It's a male space. The women came out of the home. Liberation, able to go out of their homes and earn money outside the home, in the workplace. And of course, we didn't really know it. We didn't think about it as such. It was highly masculine, designed for men. And it really doesn't necessarily now work for men either. But do you think that, that people are seeing that? That, that women are bringing that, that's something that's needed now?
2: Absolutely there's two aspects to that Gina um, uh, is the, the first is that the workplace is recognizing the qualities of emotional intelligence and collaboration and uh, working across uh, t- across boundaries, across functions, across industries, across stakeholder groups are recognizing that's a key skill for Uh, work in for a successful business in today's world and women bring those capacities they bring them naturally Um, so that is getting leveraged more and recognized more Um, in addition women themselves are recognizing what they bring and how they bring it and uh, loving their own women's leadership style Uh, there's a great book How Remarkable Women Lead um, that is uh, capturing the stories of a number of high of key women leaders who uh, have have their own search and their own resolution around trusting themselves as women leaders
1: I think that's trusting key. their yeah. natural yeah. capacity and bringing that forward yeah I think that's key isn't it? trusting the self this is our journey isn't it is Initially, you know, I I know that I didn't know about listening to my own inner voice. I didn't. When I ran a company in the 80s and uh, projects got passed to me for the Gina Touch, (laughs) I didn't know that I was tuning in using my intuition and bringing what was needed and just seeing it, I didn't know what skills I had. And then, of course, I understood what I was doing. I'd never heard of intuition. And then I began to realize that that's what I was bringing because I couldn't train anybody else in something that I didn't know what I was using. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is the point, isn't it, of having that inner voice and trusting. So how, how, can, how can women develop this? I mean, you and I have been part of women's circles and gatherings before where we've met as women and seen each other as women and that's empowered us hasn't it moving out into kind of more masculine arena how can women develop our skills more in that area of developing our inner power and that voice and that trust that you talked about
2: well I love what you just said Gina because women's circles or making sure and cultivate what one one woman leader called heart lunches So not just to have power lunches, but to have heart lunches with with another woman or or a man uh, who really listens to your core, where you can speak frankly and intimately about your process and the way you see something. Uh, Women have a clear insight with a lovely ability to discern what really matters. And they ask from that clear insight, they ask insightful questions that challenge assumptions those capacities have been seen as dangerous by the system by the status quo in the past in today's world with the um, excuse me with the emphasis on disruptive industries and the emphasis on uh, the next innovation that's actually going to take us out of the status quo this ability that women have to really discern what matters and then to ask the question that challenges the assumption that might be keeping us locked in becomes a, a skill that has more a collateral to it, more
1: capacity. Interesting, because recently we've, we've had an um, issue in the news where uh, a senior government minister was caught, ex-minister, was caught off guard by the TV cameras and referred to our new Prime Minister, Theresa May, as a bloody difficult woman. <laughs> Sets up a whole series of tweets of women going, "Yay, I'm a bloody difficult woman." Whatever that meant. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. But these dangerous questions make us bloody difficult, don't they?
2: Yeah. And there's a there's a great bumper sticker. I don't know if it's over there, but it's here in America. Well behaved women rarely make history. <laughs> and I think that's exactly true. Um, you know, you have to be difficult. You have to say what's so because it matters. And you need to trust yourself, though, sufficiently that you'll take that stand and that you will find inside of yourself what really matters, that you'll listen carefully enough in the context of the organization or in the context of your consumer or client so that you really understand what matters. You rivet your attention on that. And then you develop structures, systems, processes that will support that um, in, in getting fulfilled. So one of my clients is head of a large library system, and that library system had been pretty static and everything had been very uh, holding still for a long time. And what she did when she came in was really began immediately by listening to what do the library patrons want, what, do the, um, what does the community want, what else might there be, and then designed structures and processes that match that so that when someone came in, the whole way they interacted with the library felt more in line with what they most wanted to be experiencing and creating in their life. In addition to looking at structures and processes, women are very good at looking at behaviors, and am I behaving in a way or are my staff behaving in a way that will um, uh, engender trust? Uh, There's a lot of social media that we've all seen that does not engender trust. It's very difficult to see. And then there's other people who are really wise in how to develop a campaign, an email campaign, or how to post on Facebook in such a way that people begin to move towards you, begin to trust you, begin to feel engaged and like they have a conversation going with you. And that's something that women are very good at.
1: Yeah, we're very good in that space, Karen. We're coming to the end of our time now. We 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 need to end. But um, I know that you've got a lot of research on your website, so we'll put that on the um, on on resources for women about feminine wisdom. So we'll put that on the Facebook page, and um, we could have a whole session talking just about listening, couldn't we? We could <laughs>
2: just... <laughs> indeed. And and what, talking about how do we cultivate wisdom? Yeah. I have a women's retreat that I lead each year in Hawaii. And that's the entire purpose of it, is to deepen, to take the time and have the space where we can discover the still beautiful voice of our own wisdom, and learn how and gain the strength and power to take that back into our workplace. And it's so much more fun, Gina. Yeah. as
1: you know. I know.: it's so much.: more Yes, fun. we learn and have fun. Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. I must come back and talk to you another time because there's a rich conversation here, and I very much appreciate spending time with you. Thank you so much
2: look forward to it thank you gina
1: and now we're going to take a quick commercial break and then i'm back introducing my next guest betty ann heggie
3: become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern, with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the Seventh Wave Network.
0: What voice guides your sexual needs and desires? Yours or others? The Sexual Voice with host Jessica Ford is the show to lead you to a happier, healthier, and more fruitful sexual self. Let Jessica help you find your own unique voice to express sexual feelings, gain confidence, and to appreciate your own needs and desires. Listen live every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. There is a sexual voice inside of everyone. Come
3: discover yours.
0: You are tuned in to The Rise of the Feminine. If you have a question or comment about this program, please send an email to Gina at GinaLazenby.com. That's Gina at GinaLazenby.com. Here again is your host, Gina Lazenby.
1: It's interesting what Karen said about how so much of what women bring is invisible and how so many of the qualities of sensitivity, empathy, relatedness, emotional intelligence have not been seen, and so are not valued. And yet new modern leadership styles that are emerging are embracing all these qualities. All these capacities of what, are, of what can be called feminine wisdom are exactly what these complex times are crying out for. So when I was thinking where would be a good place for us to visit for our country report, my inner voice said, Canada. And then I thought, who do I know in Canada? Who could articulate for us how feminine wisdom, feminine energy shows up in that country? Believe it or not, I put the words Feminine Wisdom Canada into Google, and my next guest came top of the list with all her entries and writings on the Huffington Post. I made contact with her, and we had some very inspiring conversations, so I'm thrilled that she's joining us today. Let me introduce you to Betty Ann Heggie. Betty Ann was a senior vice president with Potash Corp., the world's largest fertilizer company, until she retired in 2007. She now serves as a corporate director, professional speaker, and blogger for Huffington Post. In 2008, she founded the Betty Ann Heggie w- Woman, so it's a w- Women Mentorship Foundation, aimed at getting more women to the decision-making table. In 2015, Betty Ann was the recipient of the Trailblazer Award from Women in Mining Canada and named one of the 100 Global Inspirational Women in Mining. She received the Queen's Golden Jubilee Medal, the YWCA Lifetime Achievement Award, and among her long list of activities and achievements, she also developed and hosted a Canadian mentorship experience for women from Afghanistan. Hello, Betty. Welcome to The Rise of the Feminine. Thank you.
4: But
1: good to be with you, Gina. Great. Now, I, I know I'm speaking to you in Toronto, and I wanted to take our conversation to a country where we could talk about what the feminine wisdom might be there. And Karen's just been talking about feminine wisdom, which it really doesn't appear in the language much. But we do know when we see sensitivity and empathy and emotional intelligence and the you know, being interconnected. And I remember reading almost a year ago now where your new prime minister brought in a cabinet of 50-50. So I thought, here is a man who feels comfortable in the political structure to immediately have a cabinet that's gender balanced, as opposed to saying, we need a gender balanced cabinet. He took action. So tell us a little bit about Canada and what makes, as a nation, you a little bit different and potentially a bit more feminine in the expression.
4: Well, I think, first of all, we are a country that is based on – our economy is based on natural resources. Mm -hmm. And so those natural resources are exported to other parts of the world. And that means that the people in this country are very Mm other-oriented. They are always following conditions around the world to make sure – to think about whether those people in those other parts of the world are going to be buying our products or not. Mm. And being other-oriented is very feminine energy. Mm. It's about not just thinking about yourself and thinking, oh, I have no way, I have no problem, this is all going to get pushed out. It's more thinking about the other and will they be interested, will they be buying. So mm. I think exports is the first thing. I think the second thing is that we are a, weather, a country that we're, we're, we live in the north and we have extreme weather conditions. Mm. And And so therefore, we're very aware that there is a power greater than ourselves and that we can't control the weather. If you live in Canada, you get up in the morning, you turn on the radio and you hear, if you are outside today for 30 seconds and your skin is exposed, it will freeze. (laughs) And so we know that we're very perishable and that there is something greater than us. And I think that that belief in something larger and not that we don't believe that we are in control Mm -hmm. that means that we are very we don't create hierarchical structures where we put ourselves at the top as other societies do that are very masculine energy we are much flatter Mm. and of course women tend to like flat organizations better than hierarchical ones and As a result, you find women doing a lot of things to level the playing field. We tend to give compliments. We tend to say we're sorry. Well, if you ever go to the airport and pick up a book of Canadianisms, the first thing would be this is a country that apologizes to everybody all the time. We're always saying, you know, somebody, a Canadian opens the door for you and says, oh, I'm sorry, did I not open it wide enough? I love that. So... (laughs) You know, I think what we do is that we really lead with our feminine energy. We really believe that we are better together, and we pride ourselves in being peacekeepers. Any prime minister in our country that initiates a peacekeeping mission his popularity immediately goes up. Interesting. And this is very contrary to a country like Russia, where if a leader of that country goes off and conquers somebody a long ways away, his popularity goes up. That's a very masculine energy uh, society. So what I would say is that you see in Canada a real love for diversity. We, um, you know, here we have in France right now the police... We've just seen the pictures of the police on the beaches removing the uh, burkinis from the ladies there uh, so that they can't uh, be covered. And meanwhile, in Canada, we have the RCMP embracing hijab as part of their uniform because they want the um, people to, they want to encourage more Muslim women into the force. So. Yeah. It, it's really interesting to me, even just to watch the way Canada has embraced the refugee situation. Almost most people that I know are involved in some kind of a collective where they're bringing over a uh, refugee family. And they have furnished apartments and they've raised money and they're sending money. Some of these people are still living in... Uh, refugee camps and they're sending over money for them to learn to speak english so it'll be easier for them to assimilate once they come But what's very interesting is that once the people come we celebrate their differences we want them to maintain their customs from their home country because we want to enjoy them we don't feel fearful Mm -hmm. if they're not like
1: us Mm, this, yes this is the thing about feeling threatened by somebody that's other and difference. i think that's been a problem in the world especially with women moving into the workplace we say oh we're all the same we're not different because difference meant difficulty weakness less than a threat and now you're expressing there other country saying we love difference we, we, we're going to celebrate it and it's not threatening to mm-hmm. us and i think that's mm-hmm. that's part of the global shift but very much as you say with the refugee situation uh, being expressed there and also you know know i was looking at the top places to live and uh i mean i love vancouver i've been a number of times and it's been number one and two it's in the top five on one of the league tables you've got three canadian cities in the top 10 so there's something about you know canada where people not just for beauty for everything They're appearing the top And actually
4: Canada would be, if you look at the charts on the best places for women to live, it would be one or two, Ah. probably two. I think the Netherlands would be one, or or, uh, sorry, the Scandinavian countries would have the top spots. Iceland would be near the top, but Canada would certainly be there as well.
1: So why is it so welcoming, tolerant, supportive of women? What's, uh, what's What's the key there?
4: Well, I think because what we have is in our entire society, we value the attributes that we typically think of as feminine so for example one of those attributes would be being good listeners Hmm. as you know masculine energy would be let me i want to push out my ideas where feminine energy is a lot more i want to hear your ideas so that we can collaborate and we can join and find some consensus canada is also feminine energy is also a lot more problem prevention so it's more Feminine energy is more cautious, where masculine energy is, let's not worry about it, let's, you know, f- charge ahead, and if there's a problem, we can resolve it later. Does <laughs> it and, work. Is it, doing that? <laughs> it well, that. as a result, when in 2008, when we had the financial meltdown around the planet, the Canadians had been more cautious and not allowed our banks to merge mm-hmm. and to overextend themselves, and we avoided the entire world... Um, uh, Recession at that time.
1: Mm. Doesn't get get reported much. Hmm. Interesting.
2: Mm.
4: So there's a value, people... So the things that feminine energy values are the same things as our country values. We're very much about the collective. And um, we're very much about... Uh, we're, we're, I think, again, because you're, when you're in a commodity business, you're very long-term oriented. You know that it's no use just cutting the price right now in the short term because that's going to take you a long time to get it back up. You're much better to sell less now and have a good price and have it more stable over the long term. So I just think we're a lot more, um, and that leads to more creative solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm proud to say that I think our country's come up with a lot of them.
1: Mm. And do you do you have many women uh, leaders of organizations um, as well as women being senior in the workplaces? That's two different things, isn't it? You can have a lot of women in the workplace doing well. But have you got organizations where I, I women have risen to the top? I would say
4: I would say that I think there is less uh, because we are a feminine energy culture. Uh, we have more we have less implicit bias that's negative against feminine energy values.
2: Mm-hmm. And that
4: makes it easier for women to move into these positions. Mm-hmm. So um, instead of feeling that we're not right, if, the, that the, if if you have a patriarchal system that's designed by men for men, what you find is that a woman can do the same things, but not in, in, a woman who we have these attributes that under under that condition, you have attributes that you believe are, masculine energy are kind of intertwined or interchangeable with what we think leaders are. Mm -hmm. And that makes it more difficult for women to be perceived as leaders because if they go out and start exhibiting a lot of masculine energy behavior, such as being very self-sufficient, very directive, very independent, um, very action-oriented, people very hierarchical in their structure, people are going to think that, call them with the B word. Oh yeah, (laughs) but I do think that in Canada, women can, women will, we can go forward with a different style of leadership Mm. that is more collaborative and relationship oriented, and it's better accepted because people uh, believe. That they're doing the right thing because it aligns with their value system as a country. And I think this comes from maybe the fact that we're in the north and we understand that we're at the beck and call of the weather and that we're not all mighty, all powerful ourselves. But it also might come that that we're basically an agricultural economy. Mm -hmm. And in the fall, when the weather's getting bad, if you've had your machinery break down, the other people bring their machinery in and they help you get your crop off, and you can't wait for somebody else to show up. And you can't take care of it yourself. You have to work together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just become part of the Canadian psyche. Mm-hmm. And that's what women are good at. And that's what they are. That's what they bring forward. And people appreciate that. They don't see it as a weakness. They see it as a strength.
1: I think that's, that's the nub, isn't it? It's to see these things that people have felt are weak and see them as strengths and have them valued in society. Betty, that's, uh, that's a wonderful synopsis of Canada uh, expression as a more feminine And more femininely wise country. Thank you so much for that. That's brilliant.
4: Well, my pleasure. I would like to just close by saying, Gina, that we still, as women in this country, complain that we're not where we are, we'd like to be.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But we are making progress for sure. Yeah, it's all by comparison, isn't it? It's relatively speaking. uh, It's definitely. And I know that's a lot of the work you do. It's great work too. Bessie, thank you so much indeed.
4: Thank you for having me. And I look forward to uh, speaking with you again, Gina.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye. And now we're going to take a quick commercial break. Then I'm back and introducing my last guest, Niali Muir.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash voiceamerica. and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working For You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety.
0: You are tuned in to The Rise of the Feminine. If you have a question or comment about this program, please send an email to Gina at GinaLazenby.com. That's Gina at GinaLazenby.com. Here again is your host, Gina Lazenby.
1: We've talked a lot today about emotional intelligence, living our values, and being guided by our inner knowing. And you know what? It takes courage to live that way to move forward in life guided by your inner compass and not by what society is pulling you to do that may be against your flow. as to operate from a space of great trust. Now, this is something I've seen our next guest navigate exceptionally well and also guide her clients to live that way too. Our final guest today in our One Woman feature is Niali Muir, a leadership coach who has been a transformational educator for over 25 years. She leads extraordinary women t- to transform from their impossible into their I'm possible. I've known, for a few, I've known her for a few years and seen how eloquent she is in bringing feminine energy and feminine wisdom to a gathering. She's going to share how she's been living her life in the feminine wisdom space of trust, constantly guided by her in a knowing. And I want to ask her how that way of being led her to being asked to coach the Kenyan Olympics team who came to London in 2012. Hello, Niali. Welcome to the Rise of the Feminine.
5: Gina, thank you. And hi to you and your listeners. It's a (laughs) joy to be with you.
1: Thank you. So I know that in your work as a leadership coach, you're very much working with connecting people with their, as Karen puts it, their deepest inner knowing and, and living with trust. It's something that you do. So I'm really interested to know how it came that you Ended up working, coaching the Kenyan Olympic team who came to London. How did that happen?
5: Mm, thank you. Well, <laughs> a, a really, a really amazing and miraculous uh, experience for me. It was beautiful. I had um, gone to Kenya <clears throat> to see Miali Beach, where I was named after. I was born in Cape Town, South mm-hmm. Africa, but. <laughs> I was named after Miali Beach in Kenya, and I went, and it was the most beautiful time. And whilst I was there, I was moved, beyond moved, by the courage, the dignity, and the integrity of people, the the innovation, not integrity, but the innovation of people to do so much with so little. And Mm. I thought to myself, I was profoundly moved, and I thought, how much more could be possible for these people if they had access to a fraction of what I know in the education that I have. Mm-hmm. Which then, when I came back, it really moved me to kind of contribute. So I really wanted to give something, not to get, but to give. Mm. And I contacted the newspapers in Kenya. I wanted to write for them anyway. They weren't particularly interested. So I contacted the Kenya Embassy here, and they made some suggestions about various organizations, which I followed up. And it was one of those organizations they were really captivated by what I wanted to share and write about and contribute. So I created a partnership, and over time, they got to see who I was, who I am, and there was a real mutuality and a respect that grew. And from that, over time, came the invitation Mm. to coach the Kenyan Olympic team in 2012, which I did. And I could never have anticipated or imagined that my giving and my being creative and extending and my bigger why, which was to really contribute to the feminine and raise the value of the feminine through all areas of life, might have a result such as that.
1: Mm. I I know you've written before about, in, in in terms of trust, there is that thing about trusting and then just kind of being, but then action is needed. You can't just wait and do nothing. We kind of have to reach out to the universe. So I've loved what you've said before about not waiting to be discovered, putting yourself out there, which is what you do with the embassy. You know, you've talked about being the heroine in your own story, <laughs> which I love. And this is what you did, isn't it? Just reached out. And then from that place of trust and action came that, uh, that response. So what did you coach the team on? How did you make an impact with them? What did you do? Well, I was
5: taken on to deal with cultural change, empowerment, and confidence building, all of which we did. But included in that, one of the key pieces that I worked with is in, was teaching emotional intelligence. Mm. So, boiled down to its basics what am I feeling? What am I needing? Mm. You know, in a hyper masculine world which we live, we're so focused on the external and we have very little language and intelligence for our internal experience Mm -hmm. and it's when we get really clear on what we're feeling and our feelings dictate uh, our needs uh, and our feelings precede our needs and when we were able when the athletes were able to identify what they were feeling that would then dictate what they needed and then they could fulfill on their needs and in all of life um we cannot thrive and flourish, Gina, and make our greatest contributions unless we know, uh, unless we have our needs met. Mm. And our feelings always precede our needs. So emotional intelligence is super important. We also worked with intuition and we also worked with um, really recognizing, uh, identifying and recognizing their unwanted patterns, uh, which then sabotage their results. And we were then able to course redirect. Which then resulted in evolved elevated performance.
1: So this uh, these conversations really around feminine wisdom. They weren't just were they just for the female athletes, but male or was no. it, was it a mixed group? or was it mainly men who the were you team. working with? Yeah? No, and, both. Yeah. And both. what was the response of working with the men and the women in, in giving them this kind of uh, language, for, for, as you say, for things that in that inner world that we're perhaps not used to having? men are less, less used to having. and I think everybody could deal with help there, but perhaps men less used to having.
5: Sure. Well, in many situations, even in their training and in the trials, they came back stronger. So because of the new acquiring skills, it meant that they were able to bounce back more quickly. They had greater levels of confidence. They didn't make false meaning about their results. They were able to evolve beyond sabotage and patterns. And particularly for the women as well, it meant that they really valued their contribution. They began to see their role as much greater than beyond, than as much more than just having their own needs met. And they began to see themselves as inspiring role models to all sorts of people back home in Kenya, that no matter who you are, or where you're starting from, or what challenges you face, it's
1: possible to go on to do extraordinary things. Mm, yeah, and I, it would be what, what better thing that could there be than the the Olympics back for your home country? Which well, we've had, just had a great Olympics here in, in uh, Team GB, but everywhere it ripples back to young people, doesn't it? Particularly girls. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, so let just share with me about how you got to this place where you're. You're working in this area of helping people connect so strongly with their inner world and this feminine wisdom. What was your own journey that took you to that place where you were uh, developed this fluency? I think that's a powerful question, Gina. Really,
5: I spent years of my te- teenage years and my early adult life messing up big time in almost every area of my life. And when I looked at one challenge after dysfunctional relationship after breakdown after another, I saw that I was the common denominator. And I made a commitment at one point uh, after I got divorced and ended another another relationship. I made a commitment in that moment to do whatever it took to identify the ways in which I was repeating the same unhealthy patterns. And in the process, and it's been a long journey, you know, that was almost 30 years ago now. (laughs) And, well, no, 30 not, 20 actually.
1: (laughs) Adding another (laughs) another decade (laughs) there. Please not yet.
5: But in the process, um, I really learned to value myself and to trust myself in that journey. I turned inwards. You know, where the masculine is about what's going on in the outside world, the feminine really is about, this isn't a gender conversation, Mm -hmm. it's about really identifying and owning what's going on inside and having a language for our inner landscape and our inner experiences and the more I did that and the more I listened to my inner knowing and my guidance and then took action on that guidance. I got incredible results, and that gave me greater confidence and and empowerment. It was profoundly empowering. And then this enabled me to take greater risks. And now that has resulted in me working with, you know, extraordinary women leaders, people who have incredible leverage uh, and interesting and inspiring and successful people, mostly women. And we focus on, and I'd love to share with you and the listeners something, and it's to give you a practice. Each listener, I really encourage you to own your value. And the only qualifier you need to be valued is that you, that you were born and that you exist. And you do not need to have to earn it, prove it, or overgive of yourself. Your very existence is enough reason for you to be valued.
1: Wonderful, perfect time. We we just <laughs> need to finish, and that was a beautiful ending. Neeli, thank you so much for sharing that. That's lovely. Thank you.
5: Mm, my joy, it's been a pleasure being with you. Lots of love, Gina, to you and your
1: business. What we've heard today is what feminine wisdom is about, how it shows up in practice, how women leaders in particular are accessing it, and quietly bringing it to their leadership. It's all part of the new way of leading. It's really something the world is crying out for, but it's not necessarily being languished as feminine wisdom. But there is clearly a call for more women to step up. And there's an openness and sometimes an appetite for the difference that women can bring. It's something that's been missing or drowned out in a hyper-masculine system. But times, they are a-changing. The feminine is indeed rising it's interesting to hear Betty Ann's perspective from Canada and how different a country can be when feminine values are at the heart of how a nation sees itself and wants to be seen in the world. Of course, nothing is perfect. nowhere's perfect. And it's all relative and everywhere there are improvements to be made. The Canadian people largely value a more balanced lifestyle, the incredible natural resources and environment that they have. They want to be seen as peacekeepers in the world. And they prioritize harmony in their relationships. That set of priorities is indeed a beautiful expression of the wise feminine. Now, it's almost time to go. So quickly looking ahead in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about relationships for older women, changing masculinity, how teenage girls experience themselves in the world. I'd love to hear from you. My email is Gina at GinaLazenby.com or tweet me at Gina Remember, we have a Facebook page, The Rise of the Feminine Radio. So that's it for now. It's time to close the show. Please do invite your friends to listen as well. Until next week, stay well and thank you very much for joining me on The Rise of the Feminine.
0: We hope that you've enjoyed the program this week. Be sure to tune in to The Rise of the Feminine with Gina Lazenby every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week.